1: Well, hello, I'm David Freeman-Webb. Is that really in the Bible? There is something I would want to call the box of Christianity. And when you're in the box of Christianity, it is impossible for you to see outside the box because you're in a box. Now, I know all about this because I used to be in a religious organization, and it wasn't until I got out of that organization that I would say things like, I can't believe I believed that. I can't believe I couldn't see that. Uh, I I just can't believe that. But it's not until you get outside of the box can you see what I call real truth, real truth. Now the box of churchianity, let's, let's call it that. The box of churchianity is basically this. It is Sunday worship for 45 minutes. It is the celebration of holidays like Christmas and Easter. Um, of course, you know, you got to understand, the, the, the Christian religion is the only religion that needs a mascot to worship its God. No other religion is like that, you know. Uh, you know it's like, okay, it's, it's almost as if Jesus is not enough. The fact that Jesus was born, that's not enough. we got to have reindeer, Santa Claus, and all, gift swapping and all that stuff. You know, the fact that Jesus was resurrected, that's not enough. We've got to have bunny rabbits and rabbits laying eggs and, and all kinds of stuff like the Easter, tr- Easter egg tree, whatever that is. We've got to have all that stuff in order to worship our God. And you see, when you incorporate pagan practices into your worship, you know, it, what you have is you have pagans sitting right along beside you in church. Because the pagans are there because it's fun. Oh, yeah, this Christmas this Easter. I love this stuff. This is fun. You know, I want to be at church. So when you incorporate pagan practices to worship the true God, you get pagans sitting right along beside you in church. And it's the pagans that causes all the problems, you see. They're the ones that say, well, I don't see anything wrong with gay marriage. And I don't see anything wrong with my boyfriend and you know, we're living together. I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, they're the ones that cause us all the problem. They're the ones that cause us the degeneration of character in the church, the pagans. But you've allowed them to come in by using pagan practices to worship God. That's why I don't use pagan practices to worship God. I understand Jesus is enough. I don't have to have a mascot to worship my God. Why do you have to have a mascot to worship your God? Why do you have to have all these pagan practices to worship your God? What's wrong with you? Are you sick? Why do you need that stuff? So the box of Christianity is, you know, it's churchianity, it's uh, Christian retirement, you've heard that one. You know, everything we go through down here is for the purpose of retiring in heaven. You know, like the Kentucky Derby racehorse. You're put out to farm for all eternity. Life really has no meaning but retirement. Uh, the box of churchianity is being tormented for all eternity in a lake of fire. Yeah, yeah. If you're bad, you go to hell. You're going to burn for all eternity in a lake of fire. You're going to burn, burn, baby, burn. You know, you're know, you going to burn, and but you never burn up because of the false teaching of the immortality of the soul, the reason you never burn up. But you know, it's cruelty, it's cruelty. I was watching something, I don't know why, but about years, you know, way back, I don't know when it was, but impaling people, where they take a rod, and I don't want to tell you where they begin, and they go all the way up through you, and it comes out the top somewhere, and they stick it in the ground, impaling people. I thought, that's cruelty. Listen, anytime you see cruelty, either to animals or to other human beings, you under, you've got to put this in your pipe and smoke it. You're dealing with a diabolical spirit that motivates that cruelty. But I got to thinking how cruel this, this impelling people was. And I thought, well, you know, Christianity has attributed cruelty to God. They've actually come up with a doctrine that says God's going to burn people for all eternity. And they never burn up. That's cruelty. We've taken an evil, diabolical concept and credit it to God and said, God's like that. That's what God would do. I'm telling you, you're wrong. Okay? You're wrong in that teaching. The box of church is grace plus nothing. You know, nothing to do, just believe, just accept, just invite Jesus into your heart. Law's been abolished, been nailed to the cross, nothing you must do. Grace plus nothing. You know, and when you're in the box, it's impossible to see the truth. But there's another box I want to talk about today. Uh, it's, it's, the box is religious people's view of what it means to be humble. Yeah. There's great confusion in this area. I mean great confusion. Most people don't understand what it, true humility is. You know, Christianity has a concept, a, a, a religious view of humility, and they're dead wrong. Now, if we could go back to time of Christ... And be living when Christ walked this earth. And we could watch his ministry. And we could watch how he interacted with people. You would never conclude that Jesus was humble, was a humble man. Not at least by today's definition of humility. Because religious people's view of humility is passive, nice. You gotta always be nice. Uh, You're quiet. You're a doormat, uh, you're henpecked. you know, your wife wears the pants, whatever. Uh, non-argumentative, uh, never controversial, and you always back down. That's, that's most people's view of humility, you know. And you, and most of you have been sold a story about a counterfeit Jesus. You know, a little babe in a manger that never really grew up sweet, nice, polite, easy to get along with, passive, wouldn't hurt a flea. Uh, we, we like keeping Jesus little. I think that's why the Christmas story is so popular. You know, because we like keeping Jesus little. We can make Jesus into our own image. That's the way we like it. We would like to make Jesus, you know, Jesus, this is where you fit. You fit just like this right here. This is what you are, this is who you are. You know, we like that. We can, we, we can make Jesus into our own image. Now, hold on to your seat. Hold on to you see, I'm gonna introduce you to the real Jesus, one that you have never heard of before. In all your years of going to church, you've never heard of the real Jesus, the one I'm gonna tell you about. Now, let me digress a little bit. I believe that Christ has actually two ministries. The story you read about in the gospel is Christ's first ministry, okay? It was for a specific purpose, coming to this earth, to die for our sins that's Christ's first ministry and yes the Bible says that he shall not strive nor cry neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets a bruised reed shall he not break a smoking flax shall he not quench till he sends forth judgment into victory you know that's sort of the the world's view of humility right there you know Christ came yes Christ came to save our rear ends from sin. And and in order to do that, he had to humble himself to the death of the cross or a stake in order to do that. In other words, to save us from our self-destructive behavior. That was Christ's first ministry. And so sometimes when we look at Christ's first ministry, we say, well, why didn't we say things? Why didn't he fight? And why didn't he resist? And you know, there was accusations like that on the cross, you know, where they said, well, he saved others, why couldn't he save himself? But I think that Christ actually has a total of a seven-year ministry, and he was cut off in the midst of that ministry. The first half is what you read about in the Gospels, but you're only seeing half of the story. You're only understanding half of what you need to understand. Uh, Christ's second half of his ministry, will occur when he returns to this earth. And you will never understand the real Jesus until you understand his ministry in its entirety. Not just the first half that we read about in the Gospels, but the second half that will occur at his return. You'll never understand Christ until you understand the entirety of what his ministry is all about. Now, let's take a look at the second half of his ministry. Revelation 19 and verse 17, and I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to the fowls that uh, that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, gather yourself together unto the great, to unto the supper of the great God. Yes, God is going to have a supper. Okay, and he's now this is macabre visual right here he's carrying he's calling out to all the scavengers of the air the vultures and all those nasty birds that you see driving down the road you know eating the carcass of a dead animal you know all all the scavengers the unclean birds and he's saying come gather yourself god's going to have a supper okay what, what what's the supper all about well next verse 18 that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Wow, God is going to have a supper and he's going to feast on the carcasses of of dead human beings. A lot of people are going to die when Christ returns. Next verse, and I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and the armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the the horse and against his army. So get this, now does this fit your concept of Jesus? Christ returning and killing a whole pile of people and saying we're going to have a supper and what's going to be served is roast man. Does that fit your concept of Jesus? So, so Christ is returning and the armies and everybody are, are gathered against and they're going to fight Christ at his return. Now why? Why would the, would the armies of, the world, of this world turn and want to fight Jesus at his return? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they don't want to give up their lifestyle. The fat cats of religious deception and propaganda, making millions off of ignorant people, spewing out their garbage about, you know, just all kinds of false concepts and false doctrines about the Bible. Those fat cats don't want to give that stuff up. The fat cats of entertainment industry being belching out their vile filth of pornographic, pornographic, pornography and violence. The fat cats of government living off the taxes and money of the common people. They don't want to give that stuff up. And they're going to turn and fight Christ at his return. And God says, I'm going to have a great supper. And I'm going to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men. This is Christ's second ministry. He returns as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now let's jump back to Christ's first ministry. Because there's a lot of stuff we overlook in Jesus' first ministry. Again, if we could go back in time and watch Jesus interact with people and watch Jesus interact with the religious ilk of his day, most people would not even think of him as being humble when you look at some of the things that he did and some of the things that he said. Let's notice this first little story here. All right, Matthew 15, verse 22. And behold, a woman of Cana came out of the coast and cried unto him, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, thy son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. And here's a woman, a poor woman. Her daughter is demon-possessed. And she's saying, Jesus, do something. Notice the next verse. But he answered her not a word. Does that fit your definition of Jesus? He He just kept right on walking. And his disciples came and besought him and saying, send her away for she cries after us. This woman is driving us nuts. Tell her to get away. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel and kept right on walking. Then she came and worshiped him, said, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Now, I'm telling you right there, you know, it would be hard to misinterpret what's being said here. You know, a small-minded person, a small-minded woman would just turn around and been highly offended and laugh. You're calling me a dog, but not this woman. There was something that got Jesus' attention. It was her faith, and it was her response to this, what looks like a put-down. And she said, Look, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table." Had she not responded in humility, Jesus would have just kept right on walking. You know, I'm asking, does this fit your concept of Jesus? You know, your concept that Jesus would help every poor person, every person out there, every person he comes into contact, he's just ministering and helping every person he comes into contact with? No, no. That's why I don't feel sorry for people that will work for food. Because I understand that's not humility. That's not where you go to apply for a job on a busy street corner with 10,000 cars going by with your little sign that says we'll work for food. The way you, the Humility is going to a place of business filling out an application and saying I'll clean the toilets if I have to. That's humility. But not on that busy street corner. Besides, I offered one an onion to paint my home and he wouldn't even take it. He said he will work for food. Just kidding. Anyway. Now let's consider Jesus' ministry. First first of all to consider this the first miracle do you know what that was first miracle he turned water into wine there were six watering pots of stone containing two or three firkins apiece a firkin is about nine gallons so you're looking at about 180 gallons of water that was made wine and the response of the governor was interesting he said every man at the beginning does set forth good wine and when men have well drunk Then that which is worse, but you have kept the good wine until now. Oh, wait a minute. I read that wrong. But you have kept the good grape juice until now. Just kidding. Get out of your box. Get out of your fantasy land. It wasn't grape juice. It was wine. All right. Now, I mean, I'm just saying, that's not very humbling of Jesus to turn, you know, they needed a wine run, you know, we need an extra 180 gallons of wine here. Now, oh, I, look, I would have thought a lot more of Jesus if he hadn't turned that water into wine. Yeah, I hear you. After all, there were children running around. And watch out for that guy on that chariot. Man, he'll run you over. he had a little bit too much to drink. You know, but you know, this is not, does this fit your view of Jesus? Or does your view of Jesus more like, well, he, real humility would have been a teetotaler. Well, I never drink a drop of alcohol. You know, I'm just telling you, there, there's concepts here that You know, I'm talking about the real Jesus. He was referred to as a wine-bibber. They said he drank too much. Not grape juice. Wine. They said he ate too much, too. Gluttony. They called him a gluttony. Does this fit your concept of Jesus? John 2 and verse 14. He said, And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting... And when he had made a scourge of small cords, that's Jesus makes a cord, he makes a whip. Indiana Jones here. He, do, he drove them out into the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers and money and, and overthrew the tables. I mean, this is like Rambo, a combo between Rambo, Indiana Jones, you know, whipping the animals. They're kicking up their heels and the money tables, and the money's flying everywhere. He's, he's throwing people out of church. You know, I mean, this is so cool. This is so cool. He's angry, throwing people out of the church. You know, don't let the doorknob hit you where the good Lord split you. This is what Jesus did. Does this fit your concept of sweet Jesus? Oh, sweet Jesus. Does that fit your concept of Jesus? No, I'm afraid it doesn't. I'm afraid it doesn't. Jesus said things like, You fools and blind. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look fine on the outside, but are full of bones and decaying corpses on the inside. And this is gross. This is gross, decaying corpses? You know, like the walking dead, whatever. I mean, he's talking to religious people. And he's saying, you're like this. You serpents, you generations of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? The publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you people go into it. You're wrong, is what Jesus is saying. Jesus was a threat to the religious establishment of his day. And it got him killed. It got him killed. And if you'd been a part of that religious establishment, let me tell you something. If you had been a part of that religious establishment, You would have never said in a million years, oh, that Jesus, he is such a humble man. Not in a million years would you have uttered those idiotic words. No way. No way. So it's a concept, you know, Jesus was passive. No, he wasn't. Jesus was nice. Well, he could be. But he could also get angry. Jesus was quiet. No. Jesus was a doormat, no. Jesus was non-argumentative, no. Jesus never uh, raised any controversy. That's all he did is raise controversy. Uh, Jesus always backed down. No, he never backed down. Well, he did back down at the end of his life because he had to die for our sins. At that moment, he did, you know, he could have called 10,000 angels to just wipe all those peons out of the way. He could have. But at that moment, it was either, either I provide a way for humanity to be saved. And in order to do that, I must humble myself and back down. Yeah. But I am trying. To, I want you to understand the real Jesus here. Now, I, another thing, point I want to make here is, is I see in the political arena something that a lot of people get confused about. I see presidential candidates who speak the truth. Don't back down. Don't stick their tail between their legs and crawl off. And I, I'm, I'm, it's a refreshing thing to see. But a lot of people will say, well, that's not humility. Well, listen, humility is found more in a life's mission. Humility is found in, I want to make this nation great again. You know, I want it to be, I want to return to the Constitution. You uh, know, uh, that's hum- humility, and I'll explain this at the end, is found in a life's mission. It's not what's on the surface. So often we look at the surface and say, well, that's not humble. Well, you wouldn't have thought Jesus was humble if you lived back then with some of the things that he did. Now, again, this was Christ's first ministry. And even in Christ's first ministry, it's a different Jesus than than what we've been told. Now, let's take a look at Christ's second ministry that's going to occur when he returns. Revelation 19 and verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. Does that fit your Jesus? He does judge and make war, and he's going to kill a lot of people. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name that no man knew but himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Yes, and that Word of God includes the law of God. In fact, that's the thing that's gonna judge you is the law of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nation. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepresses of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Does that fit your Jesus, the wrath and fierceness of Almighty God? Continuing on, it says, And he had on his vesture, a, on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I don't know why religious people overlook this. Christ's entire mission, his entire purpose has always been that he is a king. That's what the temptation of, of Satan was all about. He qualified at that moment to be ruler of the entire world, to be king of king and lord of lord. This, is just, this has always been Jesus' mission, to return as a king. And he's going to have a kingdom. He's going to establish the kingdom of God right here on planet earth when he returns. Now, a kingdom requires four things. you got to have a king. Now, we've just read who the king is. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. you got to have territory to have a kingdom. Where's that at? Planet Earth. Yes, Christ is, ret- is returning to this earth. The book of Revelation, the word earth is in our 80s sometimes. you got to have subjects to have a kingdom. That's people. A lot of them at Christ's return are going to die. And then the fourth thing you got to have to have a kingdom is laws the law of God, the 10 commandments. These four things you gotta have to have a kingdom. And Christ's kingdom is is coming to this earth. All right, true humility. What is true humility? Religious people don't understand it. True humility is a mission to accomplish a greater cause than appears on the surface. On the surface, Jesus didn't look very humble. But the greater cause, the mission that Christ had, was to save mankind from their destructive behavior. So God in the flesh, humbled himself, yes, Philippians two and verse eight says, "And being found in the fashion in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of." the cross. It was his life's mission that made him humble, not what appeared on the surface. And I think a lot of times we just look at the surface of a human being and we say, well, that person's not very humble without understanding what his life's mission is all about what His purpose is. In your life's mission, that's where you find humility, your willingness to serve. In Christ's example, it was, it was His willingness to die for us. That's what made Jesus humble, was that the fact He was willing to die for us. But on the surface, you know, you looked at some of the things that Jesus said, some of the things that Jesus did, and the way He talked to the religious ilk of His day, the conversation, the way he responded, the things that he did, you probably wouldn't have thought, well, wow, that's a humble man. And so people still misunderstand this very thing today. It was his life's mission that made him humble, not what appears on the surface. And that's also true with people also. It's their life mission that makes them humble, not what you see on the surface. Well, anyway, I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible.
0: If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program, This program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of The Church of God Rocky Mount and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.